to power through these. But let's pray. Yeah, great idea. Let me turn on the organ. We got lots of questions for you.
When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see the mountain moved. And as I walk through the shadows, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I will fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, that belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I sing through the night. Oh God. The battle belongs to you. And if you are for me, who can be against me? For Jesus says nothing impossible for you. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty, thank you, God. When all I see is a cross, God, you see the empty tomb. So when I fight, I will fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh, God, that belongs to you. Every fear I lay at your feet. I'll sing through the night, oh God, the battle belongs to you. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. So when I fight, I will fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you, and every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Are you getting any distortion on Zayton's vocal when he's like at that end? Because I was hearing it in my ears. Yeah, I don't hear Zayton in my ears either. No, I hear it. It gets, it's like it, his vocal gets distorted. Just oh. listen for that. See if it, it's like it, at the very end, it's like it was distorted. Reverb. It's a good effect. It's like kind of like a punk rock kind of effect. <laughs> Maybe. Is that the tempo that we're going to be doing it? Yep, that's exactly how we're going to do it. Okay.
save because I know we made some adjustments on our own things up here. On the third fret, are you leaving the B and E string open, or just the east bottom E string open? For well, the last two songs you did them the same, but so I was just wondering. No, you mean as far as capo? Yeah, yeah. Uh, capo the whole thing. Anytime you capo, you get the string until you've got the top string. Right. No, I meant the high E, not the low E. So you had um, capo one, and then the third no, fret you capoed. On, that's on this song, right? Yes. Yes. yes I thought yes. it was the Oh no, the next, sorry, the next two songs, yeah. yeah. The, just the high E or the B and E? All of them.
Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice called out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? questions let's try and wrap this up here within the next five minutes can we do the first song one more time please you want to do the whole song no, first we don't have to do the whole song just okay what part what part are you struggling with just just, just like want to kind of just intro yeah, yeah, just okay all right the, the okay Around 
There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I will fight on my knees, with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you, and every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And if you are for me, who can be against me? For Jesus is nothing impossible for you. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. Thank you, God. When all I see is the cross, God, you see the empty tomb. Really fast. So when I fight, I will fight on my knees. With my hands lifted high, oh God, that'll be lost to you. In every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, that'll be lost to you. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Shine in the shadows, win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Shine in the shadows, win every battle. Is that good? Thank you. Same tempo we did the first time. Good. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Would you stand with us? And let's go before our Lord in prayer together. Lord, we thank you for this glorious day that you've given us. Uh, we, come, we come to you this morning. We come humbly, realizing, Lord, that you are the Lord and we're not. We're just the sheep of your pasture. But, Lord, we thank you that you love us. We come, Lord, broken this morning, Lord, over the sin in our hearts and the sin that seems to just reign in this world. But Lord, we come thankful also, Lord, thankful for the redemption that you've provided for us in your Son. We pray you be honored and glorified this morning as we worship you together, and uh, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you 
all my words fall short I've got nothing new how could I express all my gratitude I could sing these songs as I often do Every song must end, and you never do. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a nothing else fit for a king except for a heart singing Alleluia Alleluia I've got one response I've got just one move I will worship you. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Because all that I have is a hallelujah. But I'm nothing else fit for a king Except for a heart singing Alleluia Alleluia Come on my soul Don't you get shy on me Lift up your song Cause you've got a lion inside of us. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of us. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul, oh, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song, cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs, get up and praise the Lord. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again, cause all that I have is a heart.
Oh, 
Why should I gain from this reward? I cannot give an This I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart his wounds have paid my ransom but this I know with all my heart his wounds have paid my ransom Father, we thank you so much for the cross, Lord. Without the cross, there is no life, but we thank you also for the resurrection this morning, that you, Lord, are seated at the right hand of the Father, and Lord, you are at work, Lord, in this world, and we just want to be a part of what you're doing, and so we're thankful for the opportunity, Lord, to, to be involved in fellowship, in the teaching of your word, and in the proclamation of the gospel throughout the whole world. We pray you continue, Lord, to work in our hearts. We want to yield ourselves to you. We want to come yielded this morning to the work of your spirit in our lives. Thank you for, for your grace this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please turn and take a moment and just greet someone next to you? Good morning. I'll hang out over here. All right. Just uh, by way of announcements, if you guys haven't heard, there's a women's conference coming up and a men's conference coming up, or I should say women's retreat. So that's uh, this Friday, Saturday for the women. And uh, there will be a meeting after both services over here. And that's just for those who are already signed up and, and uh, going to be attending that. And you'll get some information there, I guess, about uh, the upcoming events, so please, please go to that. For the men's conference, that is next Friday and Saturday, the following weekend, at Calvary Chapel Lexington. You can register on the app, and also if you have any questions, you can see Ed Brassberger for any details. Um, between those two sources, you should be able to figure out uh, what you need. If you have any other questions and Ed's not around, you can come find me or one of the other guys, and I'm sure that we'll get you plugged in. And then, uh, Third thing, I'll just give you a really quick Peru recap. Uh, we all came back alive and well, so that's good. Uh, can't say that uh, we came without any sickness whatsoever throughout the, the trip, but all three of us got a little touch of something down there, so I think that's part of the process. But 
the theme was uh, the was the Great Commission. So the theme was commission, and I'll share one verse. Uh, this is the the conference theme verse. It was John twenty twenty one. So Jesus said to them again, "Peace be to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you." And the idea behind the Calvary Bible Institute down there is to train people up and then to send them out. And um, and so a couple things that um, I think that I, I was able to pick up on my time down there was number one, it's mentioned five times throughout the New Testament uh, in each one of the Gospels as well as in the Book of Acts. And so you tend to see importance with frequency, right? Another thing is is that these were Jesus's last words, and I know that we all tend to um, when somebody gives us their last words, they tend to probably be a little bit more meaningful to us. But in this case, they were the Jesus' last words after he died and came back. So if somebody came back from the dead and told me something, I'm going to listen to it, right? Uh, so that was another thing. And then the last thing is, is that it's, it's simple. Uh, there's not a, a, a crazy formula. Uh, you just, you know, you have to be qualified and you have to have a calling and, and you know, you get sent out. And so I think it's pretty cool. We got to attend Calvary uh, Buenos Aires, which was a church plant last year. Pastor Angel um, stepped out in faith last year, started that church. It's in the local Trujillo area, but it's about 15 minutes from the Institute. Uh, Pastor Mike got to preach there last Sunday, so we got to be a part of that. And um, that was kind of cool. And then also at the conference, they sent out a new church plant, uh, Calvary Moyobamba, and Pastor Andrew Weekland. Uh, he's originally from Colorado, but he's spent the last four years down there. He stepped out in faith, and this has been a long time coming, but uh, last Sunday, uh, they actually took off. And so it was the day after the conference, so we all got to kind of pray for him and send them out, that team. Um, also, we got to be a part of just kind of equipping them with some supplies and stuff that they needed, so that was kind of cool. But um, uh, October 15th is their first service, so you can keep that in your prayers. And... Um, Calvary Moyobama, which is close to the Amazon uh, River and kind of the rainforest area. So the hope for them is to kind of start to reach more the indigenous down there. So keep that in prayer. And there's also ways to support uh, all these different guys, too. So if, if you're interested in that, we've got some information in the back. And then also you can talk to Pastor Mike or myself or David, and we can get you plugged in. But with that said, that's all I got for announcements. Let's uh, go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for the resources and the blessings, the great blessings that you've given us here in the United States of America, Lord. Uh, we don't want to take them for granted, and um, we know that you've called each, each and every one of us uh, to do different things in our lives, and so I just um, ask that you would, over time, you just make that clear to us and help us to serve you well. Lord, we want to lift up the tithes and the offerings to you for your own works, uh, whichever you prefer, and um, Lord, lastly, I also want to just pray for Israel because I know they're going through a tough time right now. And, um, and that's just putting it mildly, Lord. We, your word says to pray for the peace of, of Jerusalem. And so we just ask that you would have your hand over them and that you would just guide and direct them and keep them as safe as possible, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If this thing's working. All right. Well, and um, Zach and David don't know it, but they're going to help me on Wednesday. We're going to, in the midweek service, we're going to show a lot of pictures, uh, get you guys more involved in the support that we are all a part of down there. So that's going to be a lot of fun. That's this Wednesday.
And then they also don't know, but my pastor will be here next Sunday. So Pastor Mark Galvin will be here in town next weekend um, sharing with us on Sunday. So that'll be a lot of fun. And he'll know that for next service when they do announcements. Let's jump right into prayer. And we're going to pick up in chapter 9 of the Gospel of Matthew. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you that you use all of us in this fellowship to be used in all these different places. We thank you that your body just moves as you will it. And we pray that you would equip us and teach us this morning as we launch off right where you have been teaching us, Lord. Not only in your scripture, but also where you have us in our lives, Lord. You're so faithful through your spirit and through your word that wherever we're at in the scripture is wherever we're at in our lives, Lord. And so we pray that we would connect those things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you remember, it's been a couple weeks now, or it's been a couple services, but as we were in Matthew previously in the gospel, we have seen that Jesus is the Messiah. He has power over all creation. He has power over physical healing. He has in, he's in complete authority. And great crowds are following him, and he's healing them over and over and over again. And now, as we're in this portion of the Gospels following the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus is discipling us through the Word of God. He's showing us what it is to be a disciple and a follower of Him. And we're going to see that here as we continue. But we oftentimes have things backwards. And so we think things should go in one way, and Jesus teaches us it's far more important in another. What I mean by that is this. We have seen incredible miracles and healings, but Jesus is going to show us this morning what the most important thing is, and we have access to that very readily. So uh, I'm very excited for that. Let's jump into verses 1 through 3 of chapter 9. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. That you can't get more mundane than that, more simple than this. This is the same thing to us as just jumping into a car, going and visiting a neighboring town, and having a conversation with someone, someone who happens to be sick. We do this all the time. And we feel this guilt, at least maybe I do. Maybe you guys aren't like me. That somehow, as Christians, we're supposed to be able to pray for people and they're supposed to be healed instantaneously. Or that we're supposed to go into these situations and solve all these problems. Or that we're supposed to go to church and then we're supposed to have this overwhelming emotional experience. And then we're going to walk outside and go to our homes and all our problems are going to be solved. And it's going to be like Disney back when they were good. And there's going to be a song playing in the background and birds are going to land on your shoulders. And everything's going to be perfect. But what we see with the Lord is that he works in the normal things, in the average things, things that we would overlook and say they don't matter, like having a conversation with someone. Or, for example, you have a conversation with someone who's struggling with a drug addiction. They're struggling with a relationship issue. They're struggling with family problems. They're struggling emotionally or psychologically, or they have some kind of overwhelming problem going on. And you can't do anything about it. But you want to say to them, but, you know, you want to accept Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior? And you feel like, well, I'm not doing anything. What am, I, what am I even doing here? What does this even matter? 
But that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus comes to this paralytic man, a, a situation that can't be healed. There's no modern medicine. There's no hospitals. There's, there's no technology. There's no me- medication per se the way that we would think about it. They can't do a CAT scan or an MRI. They, they can't do any of that stuff. This guy's stuck. He's not going to get healed. These problems are not going to go away. And Jesus, this person who's been healing every single person all around, simply says to him, son, your sins are forgiven you. I would like to know, what is this guy thinking in this situation? I would like to know, what are the people around? We know what the Pharisees are thinking. This man is blaspheming. How can he say this? Now, the Bible tells us, and we know this, but we've got to hear it over and over again, that in ministry, in discipleship, in Christianity, to be a Christian, we are to be like Jesus. We are to be like the Messiah. We're to emulate him, copy him. In 1 John 2, 6, it says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So the next time you get into a situation like this, when you've got a problem that you personally can't solve, just remember to be like the Lord. Number one, he doesn't heal him. At least not yet, spoiler alert. But he simply says, son, your sins are forgiven. To have faith in Jesus Christ, to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, number one, you're adopted. You're a son, you're a daughter, you're a part of his family. And it doesn't mean you're always going to be healed. It doesn't mean that the Disney music plays. It doesn't mean that the problem that's in front of you is even going to be fixed. We're going to talk about that. It simply says, your sins are forgiven. And if we accept him, he does the same in us. We are made righteous, holy, a new creation. We're set. We're good with the Lord. We're good with God. Remember that Jesus is the express image of the Father. So this is God himself saying to this man in his bed who can't walk, Son, your sins are forgiven. What could be greater than that? Again, I'm going to talk about this a little bit. I've also mentioned, I want to know, is the man disappointed with what he's just been told? Like, I, I, I want to get out of this bed. I don't care about any of that. But again, think about the contrast here. The man just wants this problem in front of him solved, but the express image of God the Father has descended onto earth, has come to him, and has told him that his sins are forgiven. Suddenly, the scales of our perception are changing, right? Like, what would you rather have? Well, maybe in the moment, the pains or the problems that are in front of you, you just want them to go away, but you have something far greater. And the same thing is true of these mundane, simple interactions, just jumping into a car, driving somewhere, and talking to someone. You may think that that's not a big deal, but somebody's life could be changed. And then number three, what do we see? Immediate opposition to this. Like, what what has Jesus done? Nothing. He's simply speaking. And these Pharisees in their hearts, how hard they are. He's a blasphemer. The punishment for blaspheming is death. They want to kill him. They want to stop him. Now, this is very, very similar to our own experiences. Just in your everyday, when you're walking and you're on the cell phone and you're talking to a friend and you're just sharing your problems or you're at work and you're having a conversation like this. 
and you want to share their gospel or you want to talk to them and you want to fix their problem, but you can't, but you're going to give them what you do, which is just talking about the Lord. And then there's internal opposition or with your family at the family dinner table. Most of us here have non-believers in our family. And when you have that conversation, you can go a variety of different ways, can't it? I do want to back up a little bit and I want us to understand something here. Jesus is in absolute control of every situation we see him in. He's not limited in terms of he can heal whoever the Lord pleases. He has absolute control and power. One of my favorite conversations in the scripture shows us this. It's when he's in front of Pontius Pilate before his crucifixion. And what does Pilate say to him? Don't you know I have the power of life and death over you? But what does Jesus say? Oh, yeah, you do. I'm stuck now. You got me. No. He says, don't you know you have no power which my Father in heaven has not given you? Don't you know I have the power to call down legions of angels? It's not like he just happened to walk into that as he walked in there. He's always had that authority. And so here he is in a very simple conversation in front of someone just traveled by boat to walk in front of this guy, a paralytic who's been brought by his friends. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven you and the Pharisees are in opposition. He is in control no matter what your perception is. The man in the cot, in the bed, he might be thinking, this guy can't do anything. The Pharisees are thinking, this is just another religious zealot, just another blasphemer. We've got to get rid of him. You may be thinking and, uh, occasionally with some doubt, Jesus, he's just not going to do anything. I don't think he wants to. I don't think he can. But your perception is wrong, as it so often is. In Isaiah 14, 24, it says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. Whatever he, he does, whatever he pleases. The scripture says he sits in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. He is in absolute control of all things down to the smallest atom, to the smallest molecules that we don't even have the lenses and the microscopes to see. He's in control of every single thing. But then, if you're in a situation like that, and you're in front of a problem that you can't solve as a Christian, why is it that we have this knee-jerk reaction that we have to defend it? Or we have to get some logical explanation for it? Or if there's some kind of doubt that we may even have, or, or some kind of situation that we think is just wrong. We, we, we feel like we're the ones that have to get in and fix it, that we have to explain it away. There's so many situations that I have no idea why the Lord is allowing that to happen. I have no idea. But he sits in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. I have to stick to what I do know, which is that he is in control. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. But he is love and truth and righteousness. And one day he will set all things right. And for the believer, all things will work together for the good. So what if he had walked away from that paralytic man? Your sins are forgiven you and just left. How much doubt would have been left? Confusion, misunderstanding, 
Maybe he couldn't do it. Maybe he didn't want to do it. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And then as a believer, if we're sitting there as the third character in this situation, maybe we want to argue with the Pharisees, a theological discussion from the Scriptures so that they would finally understand that he is the Messiah. No, you don't have to defend the Lord. And you don't have to defend the Lord in your situation. He is on the throne. He is in control. But how does the Lord react? Remember, I said earlier, as a believer, as a Christian, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, how are we going to follow Jesus in this situation? Well, by first observing what he does. Let's read verses 4 through 8. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. So there's a lot of things here in these first few verses, of 4 through 8. Number one, it is revealed here that Jesus knows what people are thinking. Now, there's a lot of arguments from a lot of Bible scholars about is it because he could perceive it, just like you can know what somebody's thinking by just watching them, or did he know them? The Bible says he knew men as they were known. So I am of the person of belief he literally knows what people are thinking around him. And so... These Pharisees are thinking this man is a blasphemer. So Jesus is moving his discussion from the paralytic man, and now he's turning to the Pharisees, and he's addressing them directly. And when he addresses them directly, he says, why do you think evil in your hearts? They could care less that this man is a paralytic. They, they could care less that he's suffering, that he's in need of comfort, because the Pharisees can't do anything about it. The, the law cannot heal anyone. Only the power of God can transform lives and change people. And so Jesus is always exposing them for the frauds that they are, the religious hypocrisy. And it is a danger for us because many Christians today have the perception of a Pharisee and not of our Lord. They're not following as disciples Jesus and his pattern which does not compromise the word of God. They have the heart of a Pharisee who wants to separate, to divide, and to uh, criticize and condemn. But Jesus does not want to do those things. He came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved. That's what the word Pharisee means. It means separated ones. There are too many today, they want the church to be separate, but they want the walls around the church not to protect the fellowship and the flock and the family. They want it to keep out the world. Well, we are to be set apart, not of this world. We are to be very clear in the things that we allow in our homes and in our minds, and we're to, we're to have uh, discernment. We've talked about this over the last few weeks, especially in the Sermon of the Mount. But we are to follow Jesus who came into this world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
We're not to go out to all the world and heal everybody. We're not to go into the world and handle every family issue. We're not out there to save marriages. We're not out there to build families. We're not out there to save the government. We're not out there to make America great again. We're out there to share the message of Jesus Christ that souls can be saved from eternity in hell. That is the point. Who can pardon sins? Who can pay your spiritual debt? Who can wash away the stain of sin? Who can change your soul? No one but God. That's what Jesus is telling them. So he's doubling down on the blasphemy charge because if he's not who he says he is, then he is condemned by what he is saying. See, this is very important, Christian. The lesser thing is physical healing. The lesser thing is fixing a marriage or a relationship. The smallest thing is your personal contentment and your personal entertainment. The greater thing, the greatest thing, is eternal salvation for eternity. We have it flipped upside down. Our perception is incorrect, and Jesus is teaching us this here. And that's what he tells them. What is the lesser thing? Is it harder to forgive a man? Is it harder for him to be told to get healed or to take their soul and pluck it from hell and put it into eternity? What is easier? And Jesus teaches us in verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. All of the healing of the New Testament is simply to tell us that when Jesus came back from the dead, that we, by faith alone in him, shall be saved, is real. It's just proof and evidence that he is who he says he is. Because I'm going to tell you something that's very important. Every single person that Jesus healed still died. Eventually. Eventually. Lazarus rose from the dead. And then guess what happened? I don't know if it was a week later, a month later, two months later, two years, two decades, he died. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ. And we go around and we're like, oh, Lord, why can't you fix my back, fix my knees, fix my wife, fix my husband, fix my family, fix my finances, fix me, fix me, fix me, fix me. For what? For how long? But the punishment for sin is death. In Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin is the separation. It means missing the mark. It means not being perfect. And the punishment for that is not just physical death. It is the death of your soul, but it is the dying of your soul forever in a burning lake of fire. That is the punishment for death, for sin. From everlasting to everlasting separation from God. But Jesus came into the world not to condemn us, but to forgive us and to make us new. And instantaneously, when you call upon the name of the Lord, believe in your heart, confess the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved. And he takes you out of that category, and you're born again, and you're in a new category. Everything else is a bonus and is temporary. Nothing else matters. But we act because we're so spoiled. Like it's the simplest, smallest thing. And that somehow because you're going through some kind of suffering. Maybe you're that paralytic man. You see, that paralytic man 
when his sins were forgiven right there as he laid on that bed, what else does anything matter? Because if he were not healed and he closed his eyes for the last time, he would have entered into the kingdom of God from everlasting to everlasting in the presence of our king, eternal perfection in a new body. So what does it matter if he's healed or not? It's temporary. But Jesus, what did he say in verse 6? But that you may know that the Son of Man of, has power on earth to forgive sins, he heals him. And he gets up and he walks away. Now, maybe it's just American Christianity, but we would say, oh, now he's done something spectacular. Oh, now the miracle's taking place. Oh, now it's really working. We need to write a book on this and go on a speaking tour. Well, he's just going to die again. Does this mean he's not going to get the flu later? Does this mean he might not get hit by a Roman cart later? Does this mean that he's going to be good financially? It doesn't mean anything, but praise God. He physically was healed, but that wasn't the point. The point was so that everyone there would know that Jesus Christ has the power to forgive sins through his death on the cross, which he will begin prophesying about. Because let's look at Romans 6.23 one more time. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because our mind always goes to the negative, especially the non-believer. The non-believer would be like, why did God create us just to be uh, sinful and then to just go into hell and just die? I mean, he's such an evil person. And then they don't read the second part or they don't hear the other part. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God, it's a free gift. It's not cheap. It cost him his life through great suffering. But the emphasis on the free gift and you have it right now. Through faith alone and Christ alone, you have the greatest gift. What else do you need? Now, how awesome would it be to be used by God with this gift of healing? Because it is a gift that some people have. It's very, very rare, at least in our time, and that's okay too. The same way that the gift of prophecy was used dramatically or the office of prophecy at one time would be used, but then from the time of Malachi to John the Baptist, the Lord was silent. So it is okay for the gifts to be used in different ways because he sits in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. And just because he's silent about something for a certain amount of time doesn't mean that that gift is now ceased. So that's a side note in a different direction. But let's say he begins to use you in this gift of healing, and now you, everyone you pray for, they just get healed. Well, this is going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem because you're a filthy sinner, you egotistical jerks. Well, so am I. Lump me in there. Now everybody's going to be looking for you. And now your name's going to be on the banner and on the books, and everyone, you're going to be taking you to the office. They're going to be, oh, oh, look at Miss Susan's coming. Oh, Miss Johnny's here. Oh, they got the gift. They got the gift. Oh, my gosh, I need to bring the children to you. I, I need to bring the kids, my loved ones. And you're healing people. And people are getting changed. But are you following the Lord? Are you reading verse 6? See, I have a feeling, I have a feeling because of our nature that the Lord is not going to get the glory for this. You are. I have a feeling that people are not going to be saved through this. 
because they're not going to be looking and knowing that Jesus is the way of salvation through this. No, they're going to be glorying in you and who you are and your gift and what you're doing. And your name will be on the t-shirts and your name will be on the checks and your name will be on the TV shows. Jesus is always pointing to his Father. Well, let's extrapolate that a little bit more. Let's take that out a little bit more. Every single person that you healed in this gift of healing, what happens? Eventually they get sick with something else and they die. And then what? I don't know. It depends 100% on their personal relationship with the Lord. I remember as a kid on the West Coast, my family, we would go to the beach. We have big, long beaches out there, nothing like they do out here, but, you know, you have a cliff and then a beach. And then I remember, you know, my brother and I playing in the sand, and we would make a sandcastle, and we'd make little forts. Nothing spectacular. I mean, they were hideous looking, like your kids' paintings. But the tide would start to come in. So we would start digging out little trenches around it to protect it. You know, the wave would come up, just barely touch it. Oh, but we protected that sandcastle. That's great. Oh, man, we felt so proud. You know what's coming. And then sooner or later, it would come, that first one, and it'd just go right over that thing and wipe the whole thing out. Well, that's time in our lives. And, and you keep trying to maintain your health. As you should, you should enjoy every moment that God has given you. But you keep in your mind thinking that your aches and your pains and your problems, whether it's poverty or illness or injury or trauma or psychological or spiritual or physical, and you keep judging your personal relationship with the Lord on how you're feeling the same way that my brother and I were trying to protect our sandcastle. But sooner or later, the time is going to run out and bad things are going to happen. But do you have salvation, personal relationship with God? Then everything else is a bonus. When you go and you think that you're doing ministry this way, and you're sharing the gospel this way, and you're going out into the world, and you think that you're going to go out there and heal marriages and fix people and make things better, you will. You're the salt and the light of the earth. We saw that in the Sermon of the Mount. But those things are the after effects. Those things are the residual of the gospel, the salvation of human souls from damnation to eternity. And it's a free gift. And don't get me wrong, I'm not lecturing you, I'm lecturing myself because, you know, we're down there in Trujillo, especially if you're in Buenos Aires, uh, the, the barrio down there, the, the smaller town outside of it. There is so much poverty and illness and trauma and violence. And I just want to be out there just like handing out $100 bills and fixing people. And just I want to just take all those little kids with me and just take them to Disneyland. And I want to fix all those problems. But it's like the tide. What are you going to do? You can't. It's too big. And then I have to remind or be reminded by the Lord the same way that we're all being reminded through this scripture. What does it profit to heal that man? It's the gospel. It's eternal salvation. It's, it's peace with God. And we're reminded, as it says in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Who can do this? No one but Jesus. Who can wash and renew through the Holy Spirit your soul? 
and give you purpose and change you. And now, I want us to remind, I want to remember all those things, and we're going to switch gears. Because let's read verse 9. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. That's like a tweet. Like, what? what? This is important. Like, this whole, this guy's life has been radically changed in a way we will never understand. A tax collector is the highest pinnacle enemy of Israel. You're a traitor. You were Jewish, and now not only are you working for the occupying authorities, you are ripping people off over and above what they ask so that you can be financially secure. And Jesus walks up to this guy, traitor, and says, you're with me now. And the dude says, let's ride. I don't think he said it that way, but it sounds way better. Closes the door, closes up shop, walks away from the money, and says, let's go. I told you earlier that Jesus just jumped in a boat and had a conversation and how incredible that mundane situation is. Just a simple thing. And here's another simple conversation. Jesus goes to a guy, says, follow me, and the guy says, yes. I have been to some incredible, memorable things in the Calvary Chapel movement. I've been to Twin Peaks. It's a Bible college now. It was a family camp when I went there. I've been to Green Valley, which is a youth camp. It is ginormous. It is beautiful up in the mountains of Lake Arrowhead in California. I've been to the Anaheim Convention Center at a men's conference, and there's probably 10,000 guys in there singing to the Lord and lives being changed and some of the great speakers. Awesome. I've been to the Senior Pastors Conference at Marietta when it was a Bible college, and I've seen some of the you know, biggest names in the Calvary Chapel movement, and I've heard some amazing conferences there. And I, I don't remember a single study from any single one of those, maybe one or two. But I tell you what I do remember. I remember small conversations I had on the side. I, I remember a certain person taking time out of their day to talk to me over a cup of coffee. I remember more conversations that I've had with the men in this fam- fellowship on the way to Lexington to a men's conference than I remember anything going on in Lexington. And I don't care. You can th- Maybe I won't say this in second service so it's not uh, recorded. Because I don't want to get in trouble. But I don't care how be- much Pastor John Hoppy talks about how good that barbecue is. It ain't that good. But I remember the conversations I have around those tables. They're life-changing, these, these things. They're the small, mundane things that we think are not that important. And so, yeah, I go to conferences, I skip studies. If they're boring, I'm not going. Because the conversation that I may have with a person in between that could change their life. It could change mine. I don't know. I'm just following the master. Because Jesus just goes and talks to this guy and says, hey, you want to come with us? And we're reading the gospel of Matthew right now. What kind of impact? Only the Lord knew. And so Matthew's called. Now let's read verses 10 through 13 to close out this morning. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Two things. It's important to know the scripture says there's none righteous, no, not one. So 
So he came to heal and to change lives of every human person. And he's also quoting the scriptures to the Pharisees. It's Hosea 6.6 that says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Oh, man, that, that can preach right there. We can have a whole other sermon just on what Jesus is saying in its proper context. These Pharisees, these separated ones, powerful, politically respected, yet they're the ones that are sick as well. Now, the tax collectors, they're the traitors, they're rich, they're powerful in a different way. They, too, are spiritually sick, spiritually sick. The only one who is not in this entire situation is Jesus himself, the healer. His disciples are completely lost without, them, without him, so we're going to put them in the, with the rest. They're all powerless, yet he is there to save them. He is there to speak with them to communicate with them. And how does he do that? By using his words. He himself is going to do the work. In Romans 5.8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do not think for a moment that we are doing anything. It's dangerous for us here in this fellowship because we are so rich here. We are ridiculously rich and we have financial resources that we want to use for God's glory uh, to help other ministries, to expand on the, the gospel, to share with others. The fellowship is growing here. More people are being changed. And it's so dangerous because we may think that we're actually doing something here. We're not doing anything. We pray that it's the Lord. He's the one that can change a soul. He's the one that can heal someone. He's the one that can forgive someone. He is the one that washes us new and makes us a new creation it's all him we are powerless without him we're lost we're broken and if he sees fit to use us we pray that he continues to move through us and if he doesn't and he wants to remain silent then we want to remain silent too because we say it so often these pharisees that are here criticizing this work of god which is a miracle in and of itself they have the temple and they have Bible colleges, and they have robes, and they have power, they have radio stations, maybe not radio stations, but you get the point. They have all the stuff of ministry. They don't have Jesus. It's worthless. They have a religious organization, and they're supposed to represent the Lord, but the Lord himself has arrived and is telling them that they are blind leaders of the blind. So it's not my words, it's his words. I'm terrified of becoming that way, where the religious organization distracts us from the personal reality of Christ and his work. We want to be followers of Jesus. And Jesus is moving in the conversation as you're praying and you're a janitor here and you're cleaning the toilet. There's more work going on right there in your conversation with God than there is us flying to another country. Or you're practicing worship or you're just struggling to get here, or you just give somebody a ride. You just go pick them up. And you don't think anything of it. You guys want to discuss how bad the sermon was that day. But there's more work going on in that conversation than, than 10 sermons. Now, the Word of God does not return void. I am not saying that the preaching and teaching of God's Word is not important. It is the highest priority. I just don't want us to get things out of context. I don't want us to get things in the wrong perspective. 
I want us to see the Lord working in the smallest conversations because here in chapter 9, that's what we are reminded of. But let me close with this. If we can be healed and saved, I'm all for it. Let's get the best that the Lord has for us, like the paralytic man. I'm not saying let's not be healed. We have not because we ask not. Let's just put things in the right priority, right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We do pray for salvation for those that we speak to. We pray that you would use us, empower us, Lord, move through us. But we also pray for healing. You ask us to ask. We just want to be obedient. Pray that you would touch us and use us, Lord, for as long as you see fit. Help us to have an effect in this world for your glory and for your grace that others may know that they can be saved and know you and have a personal relationship with you. And so we thank you and we praise you in advance for the work that you're doing and only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're here to pray with you.